morning. Our scripture reading this morning uh, that Pastor Jeff will be preaching on comes from Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, if you'd like to turn there. Um, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Sarah circumcised, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, either way, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And he said, and she said, who would, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you, everyone in this room, as needy people, always needing your grace, always needing your mercy, always needing your encouragement, always needing your strength. And so, God, I pray specifically today that each of our faith would be strengthened and that our lives would be purified and maximized for your glory through it. God, I pray that today you wouldn't um, allow us to let the details of Scripture pass us by. Even the little things, Lord, let us dig into them. Let us find what you have for us and let us be changed by those truths. God, let us be people of faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, please turn to Genesis 21, 1 through 7. It'll be a moment before we really uh, dig into that much more because <clears throat> we'll, we'll have to get some context around it. But today, as we, we continue in our study of Genesis, we are going to look at the birth of laughter. No, I'm not talking about the very first time people figured out how to laugh, although I'm sure that was an interesting moment. I just, I mean, you think about that, you know, what's that noise? What are you, what are you doing, you know? You sound like a hyena, you know? Uh, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're actually going to talk about the birth of Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac, and in, in Hebrew— the name Isaac literally means laughter or he laughs. Interestingly, uh, we learned back in chapter 17 that this name Isaac or laughter was actually specifically chosen by God to be given to this child. Uh, 17, 19, God said uh, to Abraham, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac or laughter. So today, we're going to look at, uh, you know, what's going on here. Why would his name be Isaac? Why would his name be He Laughs or Laughter? You know, I hope you, you realize this at this point. Um, <clears throat> names, especially in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament times, uh, were, were very important. They had uh, great spiritual and even just physical significance 
often prophetic, often uh, just pertaining to the, the circumstances of their life or maybe their birth or just different areas. And so you, you can just think of things we've looked at so far already. Adam's name means man in Hebrew. Why? Well, he's the first man who ever lived. So Adam. Uh, you have Eve's name meant to live. Well, she was the, the, the person through whom life would uh, continue, right? She has this reproductive ability. <clears throat> Their third child's name was Seth, which means appointed. Um, the, the, the idea there would be there was Cain and Abel, the, the, the first two children of Adam and Eve. Cain kills Abel, and um, Eve says that Seth was appointed to kind of carry on this godly line. God has given me this appointed offspring to carry on this godly line because Abel no longer was alive. With the book we're currently studying, Abraham's name means father of a multitude. And, and Sarah's name means somewhere along the lines of noblewoman or princess. Well, why? Well, because God had promised Abraham, you will be the father of a multitude of nations. You'll be the father of, of many nations. And, and Sarah, uh, oh, he not only said a multitude of nations, but he said kings will come from you. You'll, you'll have this, this um, amazing legacy. Therefore, that would make Sarah the princess. And so these names carry a great deal of meaning and a great deal of significance in those days. And so just thinking that through, I felt that it was wise for us to not just skip over this event of the birth of laughter. If you think about it, this is uh, something that's been promised since chapter 12 of Genesis, and we're now in 21, so we've, we've been looking forward to this birth for some time. So why is his name laughter? Why, why would that be the name God chooses for him. So that, that, that's really my question for us today as we look at the birth of laughter. What did God see in this child? What did God see in the circumstances that would cause him to say, your name, you, you shall name him Isaac? And I would say, what significance does that have for us today? You guys, if, if you've been coming here long, you know I try not to leave that out. Why was, was it significant and what significance does it still carry for us today? The birth of laughter. So let's dig in. The first reason, I'll just go ahead and, and tell you the first reason. It's point number one if you want to write um, anything in your, your bulletin or notes. <clears throat> number one is the first reason the Bible we see for this is God's promise of Isaac produced doubtful laughter. I know that's a long point. God's promise of Isaac produced doubtful laughter. Just when people heard about this promise, they laughed about it, and, and, and at least with some level of doubt. But we need to remember the setting of this promise, the promise of this child Isaac. Remember that back in chapter 12, more than 25 years before this, God makes this amazing promise. I'll make you the father of a multitude of nations. So Abraham and, and Sarah, they would have been expecting what? If you're going to have a multitude of nations come from you, uh, from your lineage, they're going to expect a child. And even more, especially in that culture, they would be expecting a son. You know, I, I think about it uh, with my own life and just so many people I've talked to. Most couples, when they find out they're going to have a baby— um, they really can't wait at that point. 
You know, they, you know, they might be nervous. Okay, will the house be ready? Will we have a nursery ready? Will I be ready? You never will, by the way. But, you know, they, they might be nervous about those things, but there's still this thing that just wants to meet this child. We're going to have a baby. I want to see its eyes. I want to see its little ears and face and nose. I want to, to learn its personality. I want to watch this child grow up. You know, and I even think about the, the woman near the end of the pregnancy, maybe from the eight-month point on. They're just ready to have that kid out of them because they're getting under, uncomfortable. And so there's this point that, that you know, we, we know we're going to have a baby, and we're just ready for that child to be here. How long do they have to wait? Nine months, give or take, you know. Um, how long did Abraham and Sarah have to wait from the announcement of their child that they would be having to the time of the birth, more than 25 years. 25 years. That's a, that's a long process. That's a long waiting period. I mean, I was thinking about this. Again, this is just kind of weird to say, but I'm 31 years old. <laughs> that, that's the, the large majority of my life. They waited for this promise to be fulfilled that most people only have to wait about nine months for. At some point, I think both of them, Abraham and Sarah, really come pretty close to giving up hope. Okay, God's made this promise. Where is the child? So when God, as we'll see in just a moment, when God came to Abraham, this happens two times, and says, hey, this is, and I know it's been 25 years since I made this promise, but you need to know that you're still going to have a child, and you need to know that that child isn't going to be from Hagar. It's not going to be you adopting your, your servant Eliezer. That child is going to come through Sarah. They both laughed about it. Just the very prospect that God was going to do this amazing thing just seemed a little too amazing for them. And so they both laughed. Y you may remember these occasions, but I think it's worth looking at since this is, again, the, the birth of laughter. Let's look at each of their laughter. Genesis 17, verses 15 through 17. So if you want to turn back a couple pages, you're welcome. 17, starting in verse 15. <clears throat> God had appeared to Abraham, and it says there in verse 15, and God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, her, her name hadn't been changed yet. Oh, I guess that's happening right here. As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her, her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? So again, the point there is Abraham, when he hears uh, the, 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 the reaffirmation of this promise, he laughs to himself. Abraham laughed to himself and said, Shall this really happen? I mean, is Abraham all that crazy? Is he all that different from us? Let's just think about this here for a moment. Let's look at the facts Abraham was considering. He says himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? What's, what's the answer to that? 
No, a child shall not normally, under normal circumstances, be born to a man who is 100 years old. Then he says, shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? What's, what's the answer to that, the logical answer? No, a child shall not be born to a woman who is 90 years old. That is not a good recipe for child-making. In fact, it is an impossible situation for child-making. So Abraham laughed. It's hard to word this. He laughed in faith, but it was mingled with doubt. I say it was laughed in faith because God says nothing to rebuke him, and he just continues to move forward with the promise. God says circumcise. He circumcises. He accepts this promise. He accepts what God said, but it was certainly mingled with doubt. He, he fell on his face and laughed to himself. Can this really happen? Can this really happen? And then we see God names this child laughter. <clears throat> it was just too good and too crazy to be true, that they would still have this child of promise. Let's look to Sarah. You may uh, turn over one page or one chapter forward. Uh, chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Chapter 18, starting in verse 9. It says, they, and that's talking about the two angels in the Lord that had um, appeared to them and their identity was veiled. They looked like humans. <clears throat> they said to him, to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Lord, she's speaking of her husband. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to, him, said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> so we see Sarah's laughter here. It's quite apparent from this <clears throat> that Sarah is over it. She's over this waiting period. She's over uh, th this time of, of, of desiring this child so badly to never have that desire fulfilled. I even think of couples who are just trying to get pregnant, you know, um, and sometimes it takes months, sometimes it takes years, sometimes it never happens. Sarah's over it. She's been waiting and waiting. And you remember even especially in this culture, women were expected to have children, and not just a child, but, but a multiplicity of children, the more the better. And for them, it was a, a shameful thing, a socially taboo thing for a woman not to have a child. And that's, again, not to mention just her desire to have a child, her desire to, to rear and raise a child. She says, thereafter I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? It would have pleased her to have this child. 
But she seems to feel that she has been robbed of that pleasure. That, that pleasure of raising her, old chi- her own child has been kept from her. Living up to the social standards of the day has been denied to her. Living up to her name and her husband's name has been nothing uh, but, but a mockery opportunity. Not to mention the pleasure of God's promise being fulfilled through her. She's now 90 years old. She's been barren the whole time, actually, according to chapter 11. The very end of chapter 11 tells us that Abraham's wife was barren. And now she knows, even just biologically, that she is incapable of having children because her her cycle uh, that is necessary for conceiving a child has stopped. It says there, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. And we let that, that settle in again. 25 years of this. And it seems like with this laughter that Sarah has become a bit bitter at the whole thing. I mean, have you ever been there? Have you ever been bitter at God even because he makes you wait or you're not getting what you hope for? You're not getting what you desire? Maybe everyone around you is living the life you want, but your life is just a train wreck constantly. One trial after another, one roadblock after another. When will I finally just get to the normal life that I desire, the easy life, the great life? That I desire and we become bitter at God. So for Sarah, it seems like at, at this point in her life, her faith is all but missing, absent. And then she hears this man. Again, she doesn't know it's God at this point. She hears this man telling Abraham that she's going to have a child within a year. And she does not hear that as, as kind words. Anyway, thoughts go through my head. I, I was just thinking, she, she's, she's just thinking, you know what? Just shut up. <laughs> I'm tired of hearing that. I'm tired of my name being princess, my husband's name being the father of a multitude and not having a child, and now you come here to, to mock us? Is that what you've come for? She laughed. This is a, a scornful, scoffing laugh, not a laugh of elation. So God's promise of Isaac which, which means laughter, produced doubtful laughter in Sarah at a deep level and even at some level with Abraham. <clears throat> they both laughed. But why did they laugh? Once again, they laughed because this promise that God had made them was impossible. There, there, there's no way around that. She's barren. They're past childbearing age. This is impossible. This, this doesn't happen. People don't have children like this but here's what i love you you might look back at it again in chapter 18 verse 14 when sarah responds that way this is how god responds he says is anything too hard for the lord yes this is impossible humanly speaking yes this is uh, impossible biologically speaking But you know what? I am God. I am Yahweh. Is anything too hard for me? 
Um, Alan, we, you and I had a conversation out in the hallway on Wednesday, didn't we? We were talking, and I said, man, something just bothers me as I read commentaries. I, I try to read a wide um, birth of, 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 girth of, of whatever, of commentaries. You know, some are very solid, uh, you know, evangelical, conservative. Others are more liberal, and I, I want to do that because I want us to be able to guard against uh, any heresy, so I want to know what um, wrong things are being said. And, and I told him, man, it just drives me crazy when these um, liberal theologians are, are writing the commentaries and they're, they're commenting on some miraculous thing happened, and they're, they spend almost the entire, uh, you know, pages trying to explain away the miracle. Well, here's what really happened. Here's the natural cause for these things. You know, I mean, I'm serious. This is things I've read. There are all sorts of um, so-called scientific theories about how an, uh, an asteroid hit the earth and that released lava, and that is what destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, it had to have been an asteroid. We haven't found it yet, you know, but it's there. <clears throat> they talk about the plagues of Moses as though they must have just been triggered by some natural phenomenon. They, they usually say, again, uh, a, a volcano or, or something of that sort, or a release of, of um, something in the water that turns it red, and, you know, and then it was just a natural progression of calamity after that. It, it was just natural causes. Wasn't God lucky to have that happen when he promised um, that he would get the people out of Egypt? They talk about the people... Um, when Jesus feeds the 5,000 uh, women, sorry, men plus women and children, so he feeds the 5,000, you know, the child brings the fish and the bread, just uh, a very small amount, and they say, you know, what really happened was, is Jesus didn't necessarily multiply the loaves and multiply the fish. What happened was, people saw the, the selfless generosity of this child who gave up his lunch, and they said, you know what? I really have a stash of food too. And so they all pull out their, I've read this stuff. They all pull out their stash of food. They pass it around. And that's how they end up with these baskets overflowing with bread and fish. <clears throat> it drives me insane. I, I, I'm going to have to stop reading these commentaries. It drives me so crazy. Can I just go ahead and say something to, to all of us just so we can just clear the air here? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's not that hard. Is it so crazy to think that the God who created the universe out of nothing could possibly rain fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah without the help of an asteroid? Is it possible that the God who carved out the Nile River with his finger could turn that thing to blood? That the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills could cause them to drop dead? Is that is that, is that so out of, out of our bounds, uh, out of God's bounds, that he could do these things without the help of, of, of you know, chemicals being released in, in the water for, you know, just, just happened? And is it possible that the God who created all the fish of the sea, we saw that in Genesis 1, right, didn't we? And he filled the, the, the seas with, with fish and all these things. The God who created the fish and who created the wheat to make the bread and the barley to make the bread— is it possible that he could simply multiply those rather than be helped out by these peasants who were moved by generosity? Is that possible? 
Yes, it's not only possible, it is exactly what happened. It's, it's difficult for me as one who I'm thankful God has just opened my eyes to his word, the truth of his word, at least some level of the grandeur and power of our God when someone says, I can't believe in the, the um, virgin birth of Jesus because people aren't born from virgins. God knit you together in your mother's womb. He can handle a virgin birth. It, it's, it's not that crazy. God, God brought Lazarus, you know, alive at one point. He can bring him alive later after he died. It's, it's just not that big of a deal for God. I mean, really, we so badly underestimate our God. And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah were doing. God said something amazing, nay, impossible, and they laugh about it. Oh, Abraham had some faith. Sarah is running on no faith and just really bitterness. But we see that God's promise of Isaac produced doubtful laughter. You shall call his name Isaac. He laughs. Laughter. But the second thing, the second reason that I believe God named this child laughter is number two. Again, if you're writing it down, number two. God's provision of Isaac produced joyful laughter. So God's promise of Isaac produced doubtful laughter, but God's provision of Isaac produced joyful laughter. Joyful laughter. Look at it again with me in chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. We'll just go ahead and read through that, that whole passage again so we can see it. <clears throat> it says there, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. That's so big for us right there. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, listen to this, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me or with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. <laughs> Do you see this transition from you know what? Just quit talking about this promise already. Quit talking about me having children. You know, you, you sound like my mother-in-law. I'll give you grandchildren when I'm ready. You know, uh, <laughs> just, just leave it alone. She's bitter. She's angry. And now it's turned to joy. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who, who hears will laugh over me. Who would have said that, that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? That Abraham, to, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children. Abraham couldn't do it, trust me. So, she scornfully laughed, she bitterly laughed, but there's this transition. As God brings the provision of this promise, it produces joyful laughter, jubilant laughter. Just a few highlights in this section I want to bring to your attention, just so there's no confusion here. It's just very plain in the text. Verse 1 says, 
The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. What I want you to notice here is all of the attention is on God. Not Sarah finally started eating right, so now she was finally more fertile. No, God came, God intervened just as he had promised. This is miraculous. There's nothing natural about this birth. Abraham was still involved, but it was God who was doing this miraculous enabling of her to conceive and bear a child. It was all of God, not natural things. We don't have to worry about the natural things. God is in control. Second, we see in verse 2, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. At the time of which God had spoken to him. That's what I want to look at here. She conceived, she bore a son at the time which was spoken to him. That time had been given back in chapter 18, right? That just before Sarah laughed this time next year, I'll come back and I'll do this. <clears throat> what I draw from this is God was perfectly on time. God fulfilling this promise was perfectly in God's timeline. Yes, Abraham and Sarah had struggled for 25 years waiting for this child. Yes, they probably dealt with anxiety. Yes, they certainly dealt with bitterness, at least Sarah. Yes, it was probably embarrassing for them at times. But what we need to see here is the problem wasn't with God's timeline. The problem was not with God's timeline. God was perfectly on time when he visited Sarah and did to Sarah as he promised. He came at the time of which he had spoken. He, he, this is when he had prepared it. Just because there is a delay and God fulfilling his promises does not mean that God is not faithful to fulfill his promises. Just because God says, no, you need to wait a while, doesn't mean he said, forget you. I'm not going to worry about you. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't make God any less trustworthy that we struggle to trust him because we have to wait. I can think of uh, in my own life, uh, one, one time that just stands out to me that I had to wrestle with this. Um, when, when God first grabbed a hold of me, grabbed a hold of my heart and just made me want to truly live for him, I was surrounded by unsaved people. You know why? Because I was living an unsaved lifestyle. But anyway, I was surrounded by unsaved people and I knew from God's word, it was just plain, I grew up in a Christian school, so I knew all these facts. I grew up in church, so I'd heard these verses I knew from God's word that at salvation, I had received power from the Holy Spirit to be his witness, right? That's Acts 1.8. That's, that's the great commission that God will empower. Jesus will empower us to share the gospel. And I knew that I didn't need to be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, right? That's Romans 1.16. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of Christ. That's Romans 10. I knew these things. And so I went out and I was sharing with my unsaved friends and I was sharing and I was sharing and I was sharing and I was praying and I was saying, God, do something. For the longest time, nothing happened. 
I mean, it was just the most frustrating thing to me. I, I, again, to me at the time, uh, a year seemed like a, a very, very, very long time to just continue sharing the gospel with the same people over and over, to continue have them, having them roll their eyes or just, you know, kind of be maybe nice about it sometimes. You know, oh, that's cool, Jeff. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But I, I remember just, I mean, coming home or just even on my drive home from hanging out with them and just being like, God, I'm struggling with this. Are you, are you not going to do it? Are you not going to use me? Is, is something wrong with me? Do I not have the power of the Holy Spirit to be used? And I did. I struggled with this. God was not working on my timeline to fulfill his promises. <clears throat> but I do remember in God's good time, in God's good time, finally one of them got saved. I mean, well over a year um, of just sharing over and over, one of them finally got saved. <laughs> it was just amazing to me. Whoa, I just watched a human being transformed from death to life, spiritually speaking. So that first one comes to Christ. Th- then another one. Then another one. We're talking over uh, still a period of years. And before I knew it, within a period of just, just a, a few years, those people who I had waited and prayed over and agonized over their salvation or lack of it, they were talking to people, and they were being used by God, and God had empowered them, and people were getting saved. I mean, it was the most amazing grace wave, riding a grace wave um, I've ever experienced. I mean, I really could not have imagined this whole thing working out, timing and all, any better. I, I would have never said that much would have happened. I thought it would have been great if one or two of my friends got saved. Psh, good to go. No, I mean, there was a huge group of people who God either saved or revitalized their faith through this. I wanted God to give me immediate results, to immediately make good on his promises, but God had a better plan. I just needed to continue to remain faithful in my heart, to remain faithful in my actions. I just needed to continue. I'm sure you've struggled in similar ways. We just need to remember God's timing is perfect, even if it is not our timing. We, we see that here when finally their, their laughter of scorn is turned to laughter of joy. The third thing I see here, I just think we need to remember this. It's important. It's hugely important in my life. Is in verse uh, 7. Look down in verse 7. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I mean, Sarah asks a good question there. Who would have said this? Who would have said this at 75 when the promise was first given? Who would have said this even earlier when I started to realize oh, it looks like I'm not going to have children. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Sadly, not just other people would have struggled with that, but Abraham and Sarah themselves struggled with it, right? We've already kind of been talking about that, but that wasn't um, merely an internal thing, this struggle, this this. Uh, ability to believe God wasn't merely internal. We know that internal doubt uh, of God turns to external sin and unfaithfulness. 
I'm not going to belabor this because we, we've looked over these a, a bunch of times. In chapter 12, just when they get to the promised land, they hightail it to Egypt when a famine comes on the land. Not only that, but they lie to the Pharaoh and say that Sarah is really his sister only. They did this because, why? Well, they didn't trust that God could really provide for them. They didn't trust that God prote- could protect them. You know, a person who has a promise that a multitude of nations is going to come from them shouldn't have to really worry about being provided for and protected by God. God hasn't made good on this promise yet, so I'm, I'm good to go. Chapter 15, Abraham suggests to God that his main servant, Eliezer, maybe, God, I can adopt him and make him uh, the, the, the promised offspring. He can be my heir through which these nations come. That's chapter 15. God says, no, it will be your child. <clears throat> chapter 16, a horrific chapter in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah decide, you know what? We're going to help God out. It's been a long time. Nothing's happening. We're not having children. Hey, Abraham, maybe you should lay with my servant girl and see if we can have a child that way, and that child can be the heir. They do it. They produce a child, Ishmael, but it was no help to God at all because that was not what God had in mind. That's not what God wanted. Their sin was not helping God in any way. Chapter 17, as we talked about earlier, Abraham's, you know, having this trouble, and he, you know, he laughs as God reminds him of this promise. Chapter 18, Sarah laughs just in complete bitterness. Chapter 20, again, Abraham and Sarah go to a a wicked land, Gerar, most likely, again, needing provision, and they lie again to Abimelech, the, the king, and to everyone else, saying that Sarah is only his sister. They did not follow God perfectly after the promise was given. As we t- looked at, I guess it was last week, even Abraham did not follow God perfectly even after true salvation was imparted to him. But the point is, still, still, in spite of, after all of these failings, these times of doubting and stumbling, God was entirely faithful to his promise, not God was 100% faithful to his promise. Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true, though everyone be a liar. God will never go back on his promises. 2 Timothy 2, 13, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What does that mean? Well, God is by nature faithful faithful. God is by nature true and honest. He is truth embodied. He cannot go against something he has said. He cannot go against his nature. We need to recognize in our lives that we may, I should say, that we will, we will stumble even as Christians But God will be faithful to his promises. 
We see here Abraham and Sarah stumble many times, but God is continually restoring them. And God is faithful to his promises. <clears throat> I've got a lot more to say about that in a moment. So why did God give this child of Abraham and Sarah the name Laughter? Well, it was to be a continual reminder to them that God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful even when we can't believe it because it's so good. God is faithful even when we stumble. God is faithful even when what he promises is impossible. God is faithful. And this name Isaac, this name he laughs, was to be a continual reminder of that for them. They clearly needed their faith strengthened. And so that's why God says, you know what? I'm going to give you um, uh, an Ebenezer of sorts in your life that you'll be around. You'll constantly be reminded of my faithfulness. And that leads me to number three, because these events did not happen only for Abraham and Sarah's benefit. They happened for ours as well. <clears throat> so number three, God's provision of Isaac should produce hopeful laughter for us. <clears throat> the promise produced doubtful laughter. The provision produced joyful laughter. And for us, this provision should produce hopeful laughter. Let me just say, we are all in very, very big trouble if God is not faithful to his promises. Right? We're all in very big trouble. You, I, have sinned against the creator of the universe. We, we have no hope, naturally speaking. It is impossible for things to be made right, but we know that nothing is too hard for the Lord. And so now we have these amazing promises from God. Romans 8.1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a promise, people. No condemnation. No condemnation. No judgment will be poured out on you in the end if you are found in Christ Jesus. That's incredible. If, if that's not true, people, I am in very big trouble. If condemnation still rests on me, I am in very big trouble. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is a promise that if we have believed in Christ, trusted in Christ, we have already entered into eternal life, and one day we will enter into the full experience of that eternal life with a new freedom, a new power, a new hope. I am a new person. I am eternally made alive in Christ. That's a good promise. That, that only by believing. It doesn't say whoever believes and accomplishes all the, this list of things that God wants you to do. By believing, you will have eternal life. Romans 8, 38 through 39. 
For I am sure, Paul says, for I am sure that neither life, sorry, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, my friends, is a promise. A promise that no circumstance, no roadblock, no oppression from outside, no sin from inside, as long as it is handed over to God in repentance as he restores us, will keep us away from the love of God. If God does not keep that promise, I'm in very big trouble. Even as a Christian, if there is a way for me to fall out of God's love, I've accomplished that already. Because I, like Abraham and Sarah, struggle with faith. I struggle with sin. I have to fight by God's power. I have to be restored and kept and held by God's grace. But the fact is, based on this promise, as long as God keeps bringing me to repentance, He's still pouring His love on me, and that love will never end. God will never separate himself from me. God will never cast me away. God will never say, I'm done with you. <clears throat> if that promise is not true, I am in very, very big trouble. So what we see here is the birth of Isaac, the, the provision of this promised child, impossible, up against failures and all these roadblocks, this final birth, this provision should produce in us today hopeful laughter. Hopeful laughter. We should say, you know what? This seems impossible that all my sin could be made white as snow, but God said he did it in Christ. God said he will keep it that way eternally. This should not fall on us as, as insignificant. This Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. God made good on impossible promises with every reason not to fulfill them. And if that's the way he treats Abraham and Sarah, that's the way he treats us as well. So we can look to that. We can look to this fulfilled promise and say, He's going to do the same for me. I might have to wait. I might stumble and fall, but he will provide. He will make good on his promises. And I want to make kind of a Jesus connection here for you, because the story doesn't end with Isaac. We know that this is merely a stepping stone and a line that leads to something far greater. <clears throat> There's another birth in the Bible when we come to the beginning of the New Testament that has similar circumstances to that of the birth of Isaac. People had waited a very, very long time for this child's birth. A very long time for this child's birth. People wept, praying, God, we want this child to be born. <clears throat> Many people in their waiting strayed away from the promises. Many people mocked. Many people grew bitter and said, I'm done. 
This child, instead of his mom being barren like Sarah, was a virgin. She had never had intercourse and had no opportunity for reproduction. As for the name of this child, just like happened with Isaac, an angel appeared and said, his name will not be laughter like Isaac. He didn't say that part, but he said, his name will be Jesus. For the Lord saves. That, that's the meaning of the name Jesus, by the way, is salvation. The Lord saves is the meaning of that name. If, if the name laughter had meaning to remind us of, of God's promises, the name of Jesus should remind us of the Lord's salvation. This child, who, who came in a very similar way to Isaac, was the ultimate seed of Abraham, you could say. I don't want to say true seed, because Isaac was a true seed, but, but Isaac wasn't the ultimate. He wasn't the point. Jesus was the point. Salvation through Jesus was the point. How was this child a blessing? Sorry, I, I left that out. In, chap in Genesis chapter 12, God says, um, <clears throat> And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was part of the initial promise. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's going to happen through this ultimate seed. So how was this ultimate seed, Jesus, this ultimate offspring, Jesus, a blessing? Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Right? That's what the psalmist and is quoted in Romans. We are all blessed because there is forgiveness in this child who grew up and took our sins, our iniquities, upon himself. Upon him was laid the iniquity of us all, just as God had promised. In Isaiah, boom, it happened. Our lives far more than Abraham and far more than Sarah should, are, are laughing with this joyful, jubilant laughter, our lives should be filled with hopeful, joyful laughter. Because we have seen the fulfillment of a far, far, far greater promise. You don't think the Bible wants you to laugh and have this joy? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Why? Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. <clears throat> we even see James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, even when you meet trials of various kinds. Christian you should rejoice. You should have jubilant laughter because you have seen the promises of God fulfilled. Not only this initial seed of Abraham that seemed so impossible, but this ultimate seed of Abraham that made everything possible. Salvation, eternal life with God, forgiveness of sins, an empowered life now. Was the birth of Isaac important? Yes, it was immensely important because if we cannot trust God, we have no hope. We have no reason for joy. 
but laughter was born. Isaac was born. Because of that, we can trust God. In Jesus, salvation, again, the meaning, salvation was born, and we can trust Him. Let me challenge you as I have many times before. You think there's a theme going on in Genesis, by the way, of the faithfulness of God over and over again. I think God wants this to set on us. And I want to challenge you, as I have many times before, find the promises in God's Word and rest in them. Don't be fearful and anxious. Rest in them. Believe in them. Push into them. You might say, well, not all the promises in the Bible apply to me. You know, God hasn't promised me a child in my old age. and Well, that's true. Work with me here. But what we need to do is, my, my suggestion would be, find the promises in God's word that for sure apply to you. There are many. There are many promises of God that apply to you in God's word. They're just sitting there waiting for you to be encouraged and strengthened by them. And as for those promises that do not apply to you, read them. And just like we did with Isaac, laugh in amazement at how faithful God is. There are so many promises in the Bible. God, God makes this birth of Isaac. God brings the Israelites out of Egypt in incredible ways, just like he promised Moses. There are just so many beautiful promises in the Bible that happened. I mean, I think of the exile of, of the Israelites and I, I will free them, the prophet said, and then it happens in exactly the way God says. There are so many fulfilled promises in the Bible, and while those may not be for you, they are for your edification. They are for your faith. They are for your joy. So today, we should let the impossible birth of Isaac bring us hopeful laughter. Now, I realize in uh, a room with this many people in it, even a church, that there are most likely people here who have not trusted in God at all. For you at this point, I would just say, why not? Is God not trustworthy? Has God not shown himself to be faithful over and over again? You can hold on to your skepticism. You can hold on to your doubts. But there will come a day you will stand before God and those will not be good enough. Your theories will not impress Him. You can hold on to your sin. You can hold on to your stubbornness. But when you stand before God, that is exactly what He will see upon you. But those who are found in Christ will be covered in white. They'll be made white as snow. They can be filled with hope. Trust in God today. Turn your sorrow into laughter. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we have so much more to go on than Abraham. While he saw many amazing things, Lord, we have seen so much more. But yet, our faith still waxes and wanes. 
There are moments we are faithless. And so God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith. God, let us give ourselves over to you fully. Let us cleanse from our lives any sin. Let us put away all indifference. Let us put away any satisfaction with mediocrity. Because you are faithful, God. You will do all that you have said. And God, if anyone in this room has not yet trusted in you, I pray that they would see this amazing promise fulfilled, the birth of laughter. And may they trust in you. Break down any walls, any barriers, Lord. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're welcome to, to pray in your seats. You're welcome to come up here to, to the um, stage, I guess, and pray. You're welcome to, to pray with me here during this time. But do, do business with God. If, if nothing else, say, God, strengthen my faith and give me the, the desire and the will to search out your promises. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.